0: thank you Charlie and Beth and our sign language class thank you all for leading us in worship I do want to direct your attention to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 2 once again Matthew 2 verses 13 through 15 will be our text this morning Emma had another good week in therapy for which we are grateful for and ask you to continue to pray She'll stay well, like many of you, we're concerned because there's so many things starting to go around already, whether it be hints of the flu, sniffles, colds, or just general not feeling good. Uh, So we'll pray for one another in that regard, that we will stay well and whole and continue to live daily for the glory of God. During this Christmas season, we've been focusing on Matthew chapter 2. Last week, taking a look at the narrative of the Magi who came to worship Jesus, and in them we saw the right response to Jesus, that He is Lord, and is to be recognized as such and worshiped. Today, we follow this narrative in these three verses to find out what happens in the aftermath. God intervened to warn the wise men to go back to their homeland a different route. He did this to protect the baby. Now in verse 13 we find out the other acts that God performed to ensure that Jesus would live. Starting at verse 13. Now when they, that is the wise men, when they had departed, behold... Out of Egypt, I called my son. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, there is a depth of mystery regarding the incarnation that we cannot fathom. The very truth that Jesus did not consider equality with you something to be held on to but willingly came, taking the form of a servant, the form of humanity, and then was obedient even unto death, death upon a cross. Lord, our minds can scarce comprehend what that means. So, Lord, I thank you this morning that we don't have to understand it all to believe it. We thank you, Father, that it happened. And this morning as we... Focus upon this this part of the life of Jesus that is often overlooked. I ask you, Father, to speak to us. That through your word and by the power of your spirit, we would be transformed. That we would be made more like Jesus. We come to you needy this morning, Lord. Needy in ways we can't even comprehend. So we come asking you to fill us. To meet our need, so that you might be honored and glorified in all things. For it is in your name I pray. Amen. In the summer of 2010, dementia had already started to cast a shadow over my father's mind. I realized that it had been some time since I'd heard him call me by my first name whenever I saw him I knew he recognized me I was familiar to him and he knew that he knew me but sometimes really wasn't that sure of the relationship that's why I enjoyed every moment that I got to go and spend with mom and dad one of the things that my father always enjoyed doing and even when dementia was beginning to wreak havoc on his thinking he loved to go riding around just to get in his truck with no particular place to go And, of course, as time and age caught up with him, it made us a little bit more fearful when Dad said, Well, I want to go riding. So whenever I could and I was there, I'd say, Dad, why don't you let me drive? One particular Saturday, we got in his pickup truck to go driving into the area of McMinn County that he loved to visit. The Clearwater community where he grew up. And as I was driving, Dad was directing. It seemed very natural. That's kind of the way it had always been son turn right here turn left here slow down here let me take a look at this but on this particular day as we were in the truck I began to get into an area that I did not recognize and it soon dawned on me that I had no idea where we were I glanced at my phone to see if I would be able to call mom to say okay I'm not sure where we are but We're near this large oak tree and there's a cow next to it. But I had no cell signal. So I thought, okay, so this is how it ends. Lost in McMinn County with my father who can't remember my name and I don't have a clue where we are. So I said, Dad, do you know how to get us back to the main highway? Oh, yes, son, it's no problem. Turn left here, take another left, turn right. And within 10 minutes, he had us back on the highway. Those memories etched so deeply in his memory that not even dementia could take them away. Dad still knew how to get home. Somehow I think that's what we all long for, isn't it? How do we get back home? How do we get to where we are secure? To where the problems of this world really don't matter anymore. We long. We long for home. Many ways in the scripture, Egypt came to represent that longing for home. It did it in two ways. Egypt came to represent slavery where not only are you far away from home you find yourself trapped in bondage wondering if there is any way out can I ever get back home because when you're in bondage you know that unless someone comes to rescue you're not getting out Egypt also came to represent a longing from home because it became a haven for refugees It became the place where, when Israelites were afraid, they would run to Egypt. You find this throughout the Old Testament. Whenever there was a foreign power coming, often they would seek asylum in Egypt. And even in the time of Jesus, a historian by the name of Philo estimated that there were one million Israelites living in Egypt at the time of Mary and Joseph. Expatriates seeking safety, a better life than what they had in Jerusalem. That's why the video I showed you earlier struck me. Because we tend to forget that Jesus began life as a refugee. Hopeless. Trying to escape a despot who wanted to destroy him. This instance is only recorded in Matthew. Luke makes no mention of the flight into Egypt. Mark and John really don't deal with the birth narrative of Jesus much at all. But Matthew is following a pattern that he has established already in this gospel, even within two chapters. Matthew wants us as the readers to understand that when Jesus came, he came intentionally according to the plan of God. And the plan of God was not something that God had just made up on a whim. God was certainly not winging it. Our God does not wing things. Jesus came in fulfillment of Scripture. Already, Matthew has emphasized that when he tells us in Matthew chapter 1, for example, that all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. He does this in recording what the scribes and the chief priests said to Herod that the baby would be born in Bethlehem as it was written by the prophet. He does it later in this chapter whenever Mary, Joseph, and Jesus return from Egypt and they go to live in a place called Nazareth. And You can see it in verse 23. This was spoken by the prophets. And it happened so that what was spoken by them might be fulfilled that he would be called a Nazarene. So here when the wise men have gone home another way and here when Herod is shortly going to begin seeking the life of this baby he deems a threat God intervenes and he sends Mary, Joseph and Jesus to Egypt and the reason is seen in verse 15. To fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Now it's curious because what he writes there is from Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. The interesting thing is, it's not really a prophecy. Hosea 11.1 1 is a statement of fact that God brought Israel out of Egypt to deliver them from slavery. But yet, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Matthew sees in that passage, in that verse... An idea of who Jesus will be and what Jesus will do. And so it's with that in mind I ask you this morning to think of just a few truths that I believe are found in this statement out of Egypt I called my son. And the first is this. Church we need to remember that the plan of God cannot be stopped. The plan of God cannot be detoured or diverted. It cannot be destroyed, and it cannot be thwarted. Herod planned to foil divine plans. He wants to kill Jesus. And it's at this point that God intervenes in a very powerful way. And I want to take just a moment to address a supernatural phenomenon that is recorded here, that we have to be careful that in our fear, we don't begin seeking that's the issue of seeking God's will through dreams now I do not deny the supernatural reality of the scripture I believe in a supernatural God and I believe here at times we see God intervening through dreams in fact Joseph in Matthew is the primary recipient of God's supernatural intervention through dreams through an angelic visitation when Joseph is nervous about marrying Mary what happens God intervenes through a dream says take her because this is of the Holy Spirit here God intervenes through a dream telling Joseph to go the other way to go into Egypt and then at the latter part of this chapter we see where once again Joseph has a dream where God speaks to him and says go back home So should we take this as a prescription for how we are to live our lives seeking God to intervene in dreams? And I want to be as clear as I can. While God is supernatural and may at times give encouragement through dreams, this passage is descriptive of how God acted and not prescriptive for how he acts in the life of every believer. I want to emphasize that because sometimes I believe in our fear, wanting to know what to do and being uncertain. We may begin seeking divine guidance apart from the way God intends it to us to receive it. You see, God has given us two things that supersede dreams. He's given us the scripture. That is his word to us. And he has given us the spirit. That as we read the Word, He will guide us. Because when we begin thinking that the Scripture and the Spirit are not enough, we open ourselves up to danger. For example, if you still have your Bible out, look over to the small book of Jude. And I want to direct your attention to verse 8 of Jude. And if you're looking for a chapter in Jude, there is just one. Someone has said Jude is more like a postcard in the New Testament because of its brevity. Jude was written to warn the church of false teachers. doesn't want the church to become distracted. To become falling heir to those who would lead the church astray. And so Jude writes to warn us. And he says in verse 8, Yet in like manner these people, now these people are false teachers. And notice how he describes them in verse 8. In like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. So there are three activities false teachers do. Defile the flesh. In other words, they were teaching immorality. They reject authority, the apostolic authority. And what do they do? They blaspheme glorious ones, angels and God himself. So what's the authority by which these false teachers do so? It's spelled out there in verse 8, relying on their dreams. We need to be careful that we do not fall into false teaching when God has given us what we need in the scripture and the spirit. So why did God intervene in a dream? He did so for the completion of His plan. Now there are testimonies from missionaries around the world, Southern Baptist missionaries, who have gone into areas where there has been no gospel proclamation and there is no scripture translated into the dialect of the people group they're reaching. And they have encountered stories where God prepared the way for the preaching of the word and the reception of the scripture via a dream. Because God works to ensure that the gospel will be preached and his plan will come to fruition. You see, sometimes I'm afraid that we make the work of God too small. We deem the work of God only in terms of ourselves and individuals. We see the gospel as a means of self-actualization. And don't misunderstand me. I believe the only way we can be all that God intends us to be is by following Jesus and having faith in Him. But we must also remember that you and I are simply a part of a bigger plan. The scope of God's plan is more than just us as individuals. The scope of God's plan is the establishment of his kingdom and the reclamation of this world so that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father it's bigger than we are that's why we are a part of efforts like the mission board in sending out missionaries so that the gospel is proclaimed worldwide we are a part of that and we must remember that our lives serve that purpose I was reminded of that in a very powerful way about three weeks ago. I received a book in the mail. It wasn't one that I had ordered. This came from a, a college friend of mine and it took me back that quite frankly to an event that occurred ten years ago that I had pushed back in the recesses of my mind. In June of 2009, I received word that a friend of mine had been martyred in a country in Northwest Africa. I don't use the term martyred lightly because that's exactly what happened to him. He had gone into this country where Christianity is illegal. He and his wife and their children. He was not seminary trained. He was a businessman. And God had opened up a door for him to go into this country to establish a small banking system Where he would give loans to small businessmen. Where he established a literacy program to teach people how to read. And he was being a light in that very dark community. Until one morning in June as he was getting ready to go into his office. A car drove by. The nozzle of a machine gun stuck out the window. And he was murdered. Al-Qaeda claimed responsibility for his death. The book was written by his widow under a different name and the title of the book grabbed me. She entitled it because it was the motto with which they left America to go to this country. We died before we came here. We died before we came here. To say our life is God's. We died to self. And the amazing thing is, is that rather than that act of murder and martyrdom, stopping the spread of the gospel as those who pulled the trigger intended, it has caused the gospel to flourish. She tells story after story in the aftermath of her husband's death. How people came to her talking about how he spoke of of Jesus. And they wanted to know more now. They wanted to know why this man, this good man who did so much in the community, was, was desired dead by those who claimed to follow Islam. The gospel began a work there. Because the gospel is bigger than we are. And the work of God will continue. We must remember that according to Hebrews 12, you and I are part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And we need to remember that in this time of volatility. When we look around and we see even in our country, Lord, what's going to happen with our government and our leadership? We as Christians, more than anyone else, should have a confidence and no fear because we serve the one upon whom shoulders the government rests. Our kingdom is not of this world, and God's plan will be accomplished, and that's what God does. That's why he sends Mary and Joseph to this this faraway land. But we must understand something. Being a part of God's work also means this, waiting, waiting, oh, I know, I know. Doesn't that just thrill your heart to wait? Don't you just get up in the morning thinking, Lord, I hope I get to wait 45 minutes at the doctor's office today because we love to wait. Believers, we need to prepare ourselves because part of serving God is waiting on God's timing. That's what Mary and Joseph had to do. There's a word that is repeated twice in these three verses. Notice at the end of verse 13. The angel says specifically to Joseph, remain there, abide there, wait there. And then in verse 15, we read of Joseph's obedience. He remained there until the death of Herod. He waited. How long? Scripture doesn't spell it out. It was anywhere from a year to two years based upon what can be pieced together chronologically of Herod's reign and the time of his death. Waiting. But here's what I want to encourage you with. Trust God's provision while you wait trust that God is going to equip you with everything you need while you wait what that means is our souls can rest easy within him now think with me very practically through this passage and the ramifications of it here are Mary and Joseph remember they've gone away from their homeland there's no mom or dad around there's no relatives and now they're sent as refugees into a faraway land. Well, yes, there was a Jewish community that I have no doubt would show them hospitality and welcome them. But at some point, does Joseph not have to make a living? Doesn't he have to supply for lodging? Isn't there food to be bought? All these things. He went there unemployed. But what if in God's providence, he was supplying everything they would need to sustain them while they waited in Egypt? Isn't it very possible? Now, this is Speculation. Right? but just think with me about the what if what if God had provided for them in three things gold, frankincense and myrrh is it very possible that they were able to live because Joseph took those things and the gold he has money and the myrrh and the frankincense he can sell and provide for his family Now, once again, that's not spelled out in the Scripture. But I think it's very viable. God was providing everything they needed just as He will provide what we need as we wait. And the greatest thing that He has provided is not just in physical things, but it's in our walk with Him. When Joseph comes out of Egypt, or particularly when Matthew speaks in verse 15, and he says this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt I called my son. We need to remember that Jesus was not the first to be called the son of God. Upon the screen you're going to see a passage from Exodus chapter 4. This is Moses. This is God speaking to Moses. And he says to Moses, you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Now remember, to be the son means you carry the characteristics of the father. So Israel was called out as a nation, referred to as the firstborn son of God, so that they might demonstrate to the nations around who God is. How did Israel do with that? Once they get through the Red Sea, things kind of go downhill pretty quickly. They didn't do well as a child of God. So now here comes Jesus. And Matthew ties him directly with Israel coming out of Egypt. So now in the place of Israel, who was called my son, here is the son of God. And what's he doing? He's coming out of Egypt. Matthew follows this pattern through the first chapters of his gospel. When Israel was led out of Egypt, where did they go? Through the Red Sea and then into the wilderness. When you follow the the progression of Matthew's gospel, Jesus is baptized, he goes through the waters, then where does Jesus go? Matthew 4 says he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now, we've already established Israel did not do good in the wilderness. How did Jesus do in the wilderness? pretty good everywhere that Israel failed as a son Jesus succeeded he was the perfect son of God now I want to show you why this matters why this is just not dry doctrine as we are saved from our sins and he removes the wrath of God from us by taking it Jesus also gives us something he gives us his righteousness righteousness that's what Paul looked forward to. Upon the screen, you'll see a passage out of Philippians chapter 2 or chapter 3. Paul says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ forget this world I want to know Jesus now look at the next verse verse 9 and be found in him in other words I want Jesus to surround me how can I be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law in other words not by doing good things I will not be found in Jesus by doing good things why I can't do good things to measure up my good things are like dirty cloths But no I want to be found in him By that righteousness which comes through faith in Jesus, by faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends upon faith. When he says from God, he is echoing what he wrote in Romans chapter 4 when he said by faith righteousness is credited to us. Jesus' perfect righteousness that he achieved as the perfect son of God coming out of Egypt, not failing in the wilderness, never succumbing to temptation is thereby applied to us. That's the greatest gift we could want. He gives us eternal life and he says, you are righteous and you are holy because of the work and the life of Jesus Christ. Now I know there are believers that carry around a heavy burden of guilt and perfection and there's no peace because deep down you feel like you have to merit the grace of God. Hear these words and I hope you hear them as freedom. You can never merit the grace of God. You can glory in His righteousness. You can glory in the gift that you are right with God because of who Jesus is and His perfect sinless life because He was called out of Egypt. So this Christmas, celebrate that. Not just that He was born. That He never sinned. And His work will be accomplished. And He will be glorified. We you bow your heads with me right now? This morning, I ask you to be certain that you have a relationship with God through faith. So I ask you very clearly, is there a time where you have repented of your sins, confessing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? If you have never done that, this morning is an opportunity for you to do that and to know, to know the grace of God, to know the righteousness of Jesus. To know the freedom of knowing that Jesus' is righteousness is enough to cover your unrighteousness. I'm going to ask Nathan to join me up front. Both he and I are up here, and if you would like someone to pray with you, or maybe this morning you just come forward and you say, Pastor Mark or Pastor Nathan, I I don't know what it means to follow Jesus, but I want to know more. And we will figure out a time sometime after Christmas to sit down with you or as soon as we can and to talk about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But some of you may be ready this morning he came out of egypt so you and i could be brought out of the bondage of sin so that you and i could dwell in righteousness his righteousness heavenly father thank you for your faithful and gracious love help us father to celebrate who jesus is and what he has done not just this one time per year but every day knowing knowing father that jesus is enough And we glorify his name today. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen.